So there's a lot of really important stuff to talk about this week. There's the Cardassian resistance front. There's Kira and Odo. Odo having a life-threatening disease. There's uh, Section 31 making its appearance again. But the most important thing to talk about is... Where the fuck is Jake Sisko? Oh, man. So he and Cassidy are probably out on the promenade just shopping away and bonding. Oh, that's cute. Yeah. Jake definitely needs some new clothes. Oh, okay. You know, he he he, he tries. <laughs> um, yeah, this was a hell of a week, too. I mean, these past episodes, things are coming. Uh, the, the, the first kind of half of this block of episodes was very much setting up stuff, and now they're the guns are being fired. The dominoes are falling. and Literally, in some cases. Yeah. Uh, a lot of shit's going down, and I guess what's... This is a very relevant show to our times. I guess let's get that out of the way. Um, even, the, the more of this that I watch, the more it's like, how the hell did they know about Donald Trump's presidency in the late 90s? But Well, you've seen that Twitter account, which is Gold Ducat being the 45th president yeah. of the United Federation of Planets, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, but which it, it it's there is a degree of nothing new under the sun. Certainly, the writers of DS Nine were writing about the ways in which power abuses people, the ways in which power is taken, the ways in which one can resist uh, abuse of power, and all of that. And you know, those are things that, let's face it, don't change. Yeah, absolutely. I I mean, I think that that uh, I I have a, a couple of you know, I don't know. I wouldn't call them significant problems. I think minor problems with. Some of the decisions that are going into yeah. this this last um, this last presidency, push for yeah. The show. yeah. <laughs> but you know, and, and specifically about where where Section Thirty One is going, and, and, yeah. and Bashir and his storyline. But I, uh, I, I, well, I want to. I, I think that these are. I think tacking into the wind, if you look at them as two separate episodes, is is much better constructed. And I think that. When it rains is very much the very much the prologue to a yes. lot of the events in tacking into the wind because you know Gowron shows up in when yeah, it yeah, rains yeah. for example, but I think that on the whole I find again the way in which the show is 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 closing itself out to be really really forward thinking and ahead of its time and something which I didn't even notice last week is that in the first couple episodes of this big arc, yeah. they were doing the standard Star Trek, you know, the continuation, having a, a previously on. That's gone now. They, they've completely stopped that. There's not even any continuation. Yeah. There's nothing. I think that they've, they've been able to, I don't know, beat Rick Berman down enough to, to even get rid of that little sop to continuity, which I think is interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, this is, if you haven't been paying attention, you have no idea what is going on. This is how Game of Thrones is written. It's, yeah, and at this point, it's, you know, <laughs> if you were, no one was going to yeah. just randomly tune into to the last two episodes of DS9. I, which is interesting because you could randomly, you could check out of season seven of TNG, of, yeah, TNG for so long and watch the series finale, which was, you know, conceived, intended to be written as a series finale and still be satisfied, still know every, you know, yeah. all of the things that really wasn't that much being set up till that point. Yeah, and I think that we'll, we'll definitely compare and contrast all good things to, to when, what you leave behind when we get to that in a couple of weeks. Sob, sob. I would probably like to get rid of the Bashir and Section 31 stuff. Uh, and oddly enough, I would like to get rid of the Gold Ducat and the Dami stuff, but okay, we can go with that. I mean, uh, yeah, both... I don't think... Section 31 had a... 
I thought was an interesting concept. I it is very well within the wheelhouse of this show to again the show is dealing with how does the federation an optimistic organization that sees the good in people and wants to bring out better in people deal with an organization the dominion which is the complete opposite of them how do you deal with how does a how do you still be a peaceful organization and deal with a violent authoritarian regime um and Section 31, which is, which is seen by many of the characters as going so beyond the pale, not holding accountability, is the dark the dark side of that. Again, if they wanted to go kind of the operative from Firefly with that direction saying, you know, an organization which does believe that, yes, people need to pay the cost for peace and we're the ones who are willingly going to take these sins on and be able to, you know, do that in the dark, letting the Federate, you know. These are interesting concepts, but I don't think it was ever really used properly. I Again, there is this debate over whether Section 31 is in the spirit of Star Trek or not. I haven't really paid attention to much of what other people have said about them. I've done very well to avoid spoilers on this show. I can certainly see where that comes from, and I almost wonder if them not using Section 31 properly is a symptom of kind of not wanting to go too far, worrying that it would be against the spirit of Trek. Do you know what I mean? Like, well, you can't I, have too many Section 31 plot lines without going into the ra- – really into the ramifications, and maybe they weren't comfortable enough to do that fully. Yeah, I, I think all that's right. And, and to me, Section 31 is a well-meaning idea that – what was still a bad idea. I, I, I'm of the opinion now that I was always sort of lukewarm about section 31. I kind of thought, okay, it's a little overblown, but it's not anathema to the, the concept of, of the philosophy behind star Trek. And I think it is now. And I think that it's a bad decision and I hope it's retconned out. Um, primarily because it, it makes not only section 31, out to be an organization which is anathema to the Federation and is counter to the way that everyone in the Federation works, right? I mean, you know, I've been reading the the oral history of, of Star Trek, the two-volume set that came out last year. And, uh, you know, if anyone out there is a Star Trek fan that has not read these yet, I highly recommend that you buy them or get them from the library or something, steal them, you know, whatever you want to do. I don't really care. It, because they're they're really, really good, and I've been astonished at... Uh, how much dirt I've I've found out that I never knew, and I've been a Star Trek fan since I was ten years old. He's been reading me all of the every so often. I'll come. Oh, I have to read you, and he reads me this totally trashy, gossipy, pe- you know, little paragraph here and there. It's fascinating. There's a lot of tea in this. Book, <laughs> that's all I'm saying. Uh, and again, as a gay man, I, I appreciate some tea. Uh, but I, I think he that- he grabbed his tea mug as he said that. <laughs> whoa, whoa! It's not that kind of podcast, Richard. But, you know, one of the things that, you know, so, so Iris Stephen Bear uh, in, the, in this book basically said, like, I didn't care about Star Trek. Like, I wanted to do an interesting show. I didn't really care about, like, the ideals of Gene Roddenberry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He comes out and basically says that he thought the ideals of Gene Roddenberry were bullshit. Now, I somewhat agree with him. I somewhat disagree with him. I think that the cult of Roddenberry is very overblown. And I think that 
Roddenberry had a lot of really bad ideas that were the death of drama, especially uh, uh, on The Next Generation. And there's a reason why the show floundered so badly for yes. so long until uh, uh, Rick Berman and Michael Pillar were able to straighten it out. And not to say that Gene Roddenberry did not have good ideas, not to say that Gene Roddenberry uh, you know, w- was not instrumental to the creation of something which we all love, but he just was not a perfect person and he was not even perhaps the the most... Uh, the most influential in the Star Trek that we have come to to know and love. I feel like his ideas towards TNG would have made a fine mid tier 1970s show, but it was a different time. It, it, you it know, was a he was time. he 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 didn't progress in the twenty years since he created the original series in some ways. Yeah, and I think he actually sort of like got a little full of himself hmm. and and kind of bought into the whole Great Bird of the Galaxy adoration that he got. You know, in the when uh, Star Trek was really in the wilderness. But anyway, we can do a whole, maybe yeah. we'll do a patron special on Gene Roddenberry. Who knows? Um, but I, I think that, that what it really comes down to for me is, is the scene. And I forget which episode it's in. I think it's in tacking into the wind, but it might be in when it rains. Cause really, again, these episodes kind of blur together that, you know, he's Bashir discovers that, uh, you know, pretty transparently because he suddenly decides that um, he wants to try and use the morphogenic matrix that make up the changeling DNA uh, uh, to to create, you know, organs. I'm like, OK, sure. That sounds like a good idea to me. I, a part of me wonders why he didn't do this five years ago. But this is a, that's yeah. that's why I think it's a little transparent. Yeah, exactly. But, he needs a reason to. Yeah, but he, he needs a reason to get the thing and find yeah. out that Odo has the disease. I get that. Uh, so he finds out that Odo has the disease. He wants to get the records from Starfleet Medical when Odo went to Starfleet Medical back, I think in the third season and gets stonewalled essentially. And the, the dialogue between Bashir and the people he's talking to at Starfleet Medical yeah, like I really, the admin that's, you know, stonewall. Yeah. I really feel like they're so beyond the pale of the the good faith effort of people to get along and trust each other that it becomes it it's a small yeah. thing it's a minor thing but i do believe that it is a little bit it goes too far it it completely forgets that we're watching a star trek show and it's in the service of what exactly he, he yeah it, it would be one thing if the guy at starfleet medical was overly trying to be helpful and just blocked by that. And I don't know, I'm sorry, the system, you know, but he's looking to, I mean, you fully involve, expect him at the end to say, okay, you know, by the way, while I've been asking these questions, you know, an arrest team is, you know, sent to your office. Like that seemed like where that was going. And so I can, and you know, you could certainly retcon it and say, you know, create some sort of fan in where that guy is actually a member of section 31. All right, whatever. But why do I have to go to those lengths to justify this? And especially when, Deep Space Nine, you know, I don't buy into the idea that everyone in, in, in the future is perfect and you cannot have conflict, right? Like, yeah. I don't buy that. DS9 certainly doesn't buy that. And we have seen conflict even between and among Starfleet members yeah. in, in this show. And, and, I, and, and, I, when, bought, and I bought it. Beca- and especially because this show does recognize that there isn't one version of good. In other words, when there's conflict between Starfleet members, it's because they both want the best they both think what they're doing is the best for the federation for people and all that and they just disagree on the methods in some ways or right you know they they disagree on priorities or something everybody is even admiral ross who was helping out section 31 a couple episodes ago is still acting in good faith 
I would disagree with you. Well, I, mean, I I had a lot of problems with that episode and a lot of problems with Admiral Ross's actions in it. But to me, I think what it primarily comes down to is that, you know, Section 31 is an ends justified the means organization. Mm-hmm. Starfleet is determinedly not that. The Federation yeah. is determinedly not that. And Section 31, I think, is bleeding over into Starfleet and the Federation. And, and, and I think the... I think the writers are forgetting that Starfleet and the Federation are not Quite ends justifying the means organizations. Well, I get in some ways, I think it might have been more. In, again, we're we're taught we're gonna be talking politics. Um, a lot of Section Thirty One may have been better if it had been presented as, in a way, an outdated piece of the Federation. In other words, so the U.S. has this electoral college, which you can look under the circumstances in which it was created and, okay, this makes sense. This is the way that, you know, because of the way people are living, because of the which way— Which I would people, disagree with. Well, let, let's just— The electoral just, college exists because of slavery. <laughs> fair. Uh, let, let's agree There's a re, uh, there was a reason for that at the time. There are reasons that are not valid now that don't make sense. The, the, it is yeah, we not, don't believe that people can be property. Exactly. <laughs> um. It makes no sense now and there. So, so it section thirty one almost seems like the byproduct of a much wilder federation that is dealing with a lot of threats all of the time. I mean, we've we've talked about how Kirk's uh, galaxy was a lot more frontier wise than Picard's galaxy. Um, and pre Kirk's time, we can see it being even more violent and chaotic. Mm-hmm. And so, you could see how, yes, at the time when the federation was made. Uh, a, a certain group, you know, the, Section 31 was created because things really were too wild. You did want to have scientific exploration and you did want to have captains acting in good faith as if they would, you know, everybody would. And so you create this organization. Well, now it's years later. It's hundreds of years later. And the galaxy is different. People are different. The Federation is different. Starfleet mm-hmm. is different. And so this, you know, this Section 31 is archaic. And yet, meanwhile, these past hundred years, Section 31 has enjoyed and grown into its power and it has become entrenched and calcified. And so even though the Federation doesn't want or need it anymore, because most of them don't even know Section 31 even exists, it's running on its own. That version of Section 31 might have been much more interesting to do because then it wouldn't really go against the Federation ideals. The Federation is allowed to have made mistakes. I mean, Picard was allowed to make, have sure, made mistakes. Sure. And it could look and say, well, sec- because nobody in Starfleet now besides Cisco and company think that Section 31 is explicitly wrong, right? So, you well, know. nobody knows about it. So yeah. I, I don't know. Well, I, I, I mean, it's it's so vague about it because again, every time they talk about it, you know, well, they don't really say, you know, they don't really say anything. They didn't confirm or deny. It's not as if, you know, Cisco's talking to somebody and they're horrified at the idea of it, or they find it shocking or surprising. You know, they all seem to be like, what would Picard think of Section Thirty One? Yeah, Picard- like that's what I keep coming back to is like, what would that episode of TNG look like? And yeah. I think it would have looked very different. Now. That's probably a facile statement, but I also think it's instructive of the reasons why Section 31, I think, is so anathema to Star Trek. Well, and and I mean, the other thing, too, is I, I, I get that, and, and maybe this is a segue over to talking about Odo and, and hmm. Kira, but I, I get that what the show was trying to do was, because let's not forget that Odo has been sick with a very similar disease before, and the founders created that disease to get him back to the Great Link, right? And so... I, I get that the 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 creative staff, or Stephen Bear and everybody else on the writing staff, was trying to make some sort of moral equivalency or or some sort of mirror between the Dominion and specifically Section Thirty One. I think um, in that 
the founders were willing to create a disease yeah. that was very similar to this to get Odo back to do something. The Dominion, as you said, is very much an ends justify the means organization. And now we have Section 31, a shadowy, you know, a shadowy agency within the Federation that no one knows exists, even though like, you know, low, low functioning bureaucrats and Starfleet Medical are being extremely dicky to Bashir <laughs> for some reason. Um, they're creating a disease to, to wipe out the founders and they're, they're committing genocide. And I think that it's just well, the, the show, well, the show, frankly, doesn't have enough time to properly deal with something like this and to drop it in at the very end like this. I, I don't think it was a good idea even on a i mean even on a storytelling level it's well, sort of like yeah what, i gotta be honest from? i was really disappointed that this was the solution to the disease i i was i thought there was i thought it was frankly gonna go in something as a the you know the founders are incomplete and without all of their you know all of the members of the founders linking together, all you know, the entirety will disintegrate, and they need Odo to complete them. And that, you know, Odo linking with the Great Link would cure every. Like I thought it was going to be something along those lines, maybe even. Um, and also to to uh, to to talk about that equivalency. I mean, it's a, it's closer to the quickening, frankly. Um, be, you know, being that that was a disease caused to punish and eradicate. Uh, Somebody who'd crossed it because well, the, the I, I, Dominion I, created the creating the disease for Odo was not intended to kill him. It was to bring him. It was a a very elaborate homing device to get him home so that he could be judged. And you know the only way you know the easiest way they could think of to do that was to make you will get sicker and sicker unless you do that. Their intention was to. They did not in any way intend for Odo to die from that. It. The Section 31 has created the this disease just to eradicate the founders, not to get anything from them. Not it's it, it it's, it's a, something which creating the disease for Odo gives him the opportunity to repent. There is no opportunity given to the founders. They've they well, that's exactly what I was going to yeah. say. That that is again another reason why it's so anathema to the idea of Star Trek is that the founders are now. Uh, outside of the idea that working together in good faith, yeah. even like the most intractable enemies can come around eventually. Yeah. It, I don't buy that. And I think that, you know, I and, I, and again, like I'm, we haven't gotten to the end of the show yet. So, so maybe that's going yeah. to change. Um, and I think that I'm reacting to what I'm seeing in these two episodes, not necessarily about what's going to come down the line. You know, obviously they're setting up something. I mean, I like the, yeah. the storyline between Bashir and O'Brien very much. They're finally both getting their opportunities to to play out their their you know uh, spy fantasies in, <laughs> in a real setting, and you know they're pretty good at it. Yeah. But but you know, I think at the end of the day, we're just going to have to see where this goes. But as it's presented in these two episodes, yeah. I, I don't find it satisfying, and I find it a little objectionable. No, it's true. And again, if Section Thirty One were this organization that thought it was doing everything for the good of the federation but which essentially was treated by everybody by the rest of starfleet as in a way a, a heretical offshoot that would be one thing but nobody seems to think of these of section 31 as heretics right yeah yeah well um i mean let's talk about about uh i was so you want we, to talk about win and uh yeah let's get rid of them because i was going to say we can talk about karenoto but uh, christ i just want to get rid of the the <laughs> Adami uh, and Goldicott story. Fuck. Okay. I, I again, this was stretched out a little too long, but I. 
Well, they weren't in tacking into the wind at all. No, no. And they were they were only in when it rains. Basically, what happens is yeah. Adami, you know, Kai Wen is increasingly uh, disillusioned and upset by the revelation that you know. Uh, her lover is actually golden yeah. hot that she has murdered someone. She's still devoted to the um, to the paw wraiths. Uh, Gold Ducat doesn't entirely trust her. He, the she pa- doesn't entirely trust him either. <laughs> right. She uh, goes to bed. He sneaks in, looks at the book. He goes blind, and then she throws him out. Well, I mean, okay. A- I mean, this is like this. This is padding to the yeah nth degree. I don't think that. Uh- Golducat being cast out to be a mendicant on the streets of Bajor is the ending to Golducat's story. At the same time, we never see him again. Really? No, <laughs> no, no. Because no, because we're gonna say at the same time there is a bit of poetic justice satisfaction to that. He has gone as he he has gone as low as one can go for a Cardassian. He's now become a Bajoran beggar. Yeah, and there again, there's a poetic justice. I love that little smirk that Kaiwin gives him when she realizes he's blinded and he's not even sure if she's in the room and she just kind of hangs for a couple seconds. I love that Kaiwin, even evil Kaiwin, is always Kaiwin. Yeah, I like that she believes so much in her own power. And is, wasn't Kaiwin always evil Kaiwin? Well, you know, ev- Pa Wraith evil Kaiwin. <laughs> but no, no, you know, I appreciate that as manipulated by Dukat as she has been. You know, she's never, she will never fully give the reins to that. And I am, I appreciate that. In general, you're right. You know, it did go on a little too long and. Which they agree with. I mean, Ronald Moore said that they introduced that storyline way too early in the arc. Yeah. And that's, uh, and again, maybe this is something that given that they were kind of, again, one of the first shows to do this extreme plotting arc type thing. You know, ten years from now, they might have stuck it better. I, yeah, I think that. Yeah, I think that's right, um, and I think that's pretty much all there is to say about that. Yeah, but it's not the end of that story. No, it's certainly not. We'll get a resolution to it, but you know, it, it's just kind of like it's in a holding pattern. And I think that you it's, you can really see the extent to which that storyline is in a holding pattern because yeah. it, they're not intacking into the wind at all. Because they need to get, frankly, their their storyline is going to intersect with. Ben as the emissary storyline. I, I, it's very obvious that that, and, and so, I mean, I'm assuming the next couple episodes are going to be about Ben getting to a very specific point, and maybe we'll see a couple scenes of Kaiwin reading and getting, you know, getting certain ideas of how to release the Paw Wraith. Yeah, and maybe that's where the finale goes. Is yeah. that ap- apocalyptic battle? I, I'm going to assume. I'm going to assume we're going to be seeing an apocalyptic battle both between the Paw Wraiths and the profits and between the dominion and the federation like if i'm writing the show that's where i'm going to assume those are the two big scenes that we're going to be paralleling i assume well you'll find out very very soon yeah okay let's talk about uh kiranoto's adventures with the cardassian liberation front because i think that i mean certainly the the uh galron martok wharf storyline uh in these two episodes is is important i think kind of on the big level but i think that the storyline between the cardassians and kiranoto is is a the more interesting storyline and b the more star trek storyline well i want to i guess in terms the whole gauron martok wharf thing is only really important because we again we've seen 
this is the culmination of a 12, 12 years of television or something like that. This is, you know, going, we, we saw the Gowron's rise to power and Worf and Picard's role in that. And we've seen, you know, the appearance of Martok and all of, all of these things have been. And so this is the end of Gowron's story and the rise of a new part in uh, and what we assume will be a new era in Klingon leadership. So apparently we're talking about Gowron. Oh, I guess we are. Uh, <laughs> well, no, because I think the two storylines do uh, – Damar and, and Martok are very much paralleled with each other in this episode. We see uh, both of them become leaders of their people in ways that they recognize their society is broken and very much needs to change. There needs to be a new era of history in you know. Ezri's conversation with Worf, you know, they're talking about how they need a new, you know, maybe the old empire does need to die. You need to be, you know, it's based on outdated traditions and you need somebody who actually does have honor. And um, it really doesn't have like much to do with the Federation. Either, yeah. Which I think is interesting. If, and I mean, frankly, in terms of plot, if Gowron never went and, you know, Martok was always in command of things, there would be no change, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe. I don't know. But either way. So, yes, Kira and... Well, no, I mean, let's let's continue to talk about this because we already started talking about it. I think that for me, I mean, I'm going to be very upfront and say that that I don't really remember why Gowron hated Worf. I know that there's yeah. some reason for it, but I don't really remember what it was. <laughs> I think, Ga- I, for, actually, in the first episode, I thought the possibility that Gowron's a changeling and just doing the final fucking up of things is possible. I thought that's where it was going. But, you know, that then the second episode... They've became- kind of pulled that card before already, though. Of course, which is why I both didn't think they would do it and thought they might do it because, oh, I'm not going to expect them to do it twice. Well, why – do you remember why Gowron no. hates Worf? There's or some, Martok? No. There's some reason for it. I mean, I well, I think that the idea that, that Gowron hates Martok is pretty much introduced mm-hmm. in, in the first episode, and that's fine. I mean, I don't have a problem with that. I just – again, I, I don't remember why. I mean, I know there's some reason for it. I even looked up on Memory Alpha, and I read like the entire – entry on on Gowron and the entire entry on Worf and it said nothing about it so I'm just like where did the, I know I could not remember it bothers me like there's some reason for it I don't know isn't it it might even be just you know something specific happened it, because I always I almost got the sense that you know Gowron is just being paranoid and crazy and not be and losing his prime and just no there was power like, corrupted there him. was a there was an episode sure. or a scene where Gowron was like I remember this. He was like, Worf, you're dead to me or something. I don't know. It, uh, it's not that relevant, but it just bothers me that I can't remember. Because I think it. I think I'm bringing it up because it uh, indicates exactly like how not interesting I find the Klingons. And I guess I, I just yeah. I get really tired of them. Well, I didn't really. I I found that I didn't really. This is the first I'm thinking of the question. I guess I just assume okay, Garon hates everybody. I you know he's just a bastard. But but again, if I'm free, so I I, I guess maybe but there was a reason. Well, maybe it would have been nice to have a line or two in the episode to remind us of that. That's that's a fair point. Maybe they didn't remember either. <laughs> well, I I mean I I like I mean I want to ask you this because I knew this was coming. Obviously, Worf murders Galron yeah. or kills him in honorable combat, whatever the fuck you want to say. Um, I don't think you saw this coming, but. Do you think I mean you you've you've lived with these characters for a long time. You've you've seen Worf grow and change over TNG and DS9. You've seen Gowron get introduced in TNG. 
you have seen, you know, Gowron uh, go crazy and withdraw from the Kittimer Accords yeah. and start raping and pillaging all throughout the galaxy again. And now this happens and it happens quickly. I understand that wasn't really telegraphed before, but does this feel like a satisfying ending for, for Worf and Gowron? Well, I didn't feel like it was too sudden or anything like that. There is a degree where I know these these episodes are going to have the resolution of a lot of secondary character stories in some ways. Um, so I did feel it's kind of part and parcel of that, again, the way that television was written then and all of that. Um, I thought for a bit that it really was going to end with it could possibly end with Worf becoming chancellor even as he doesn't necessarily want to knowing it's his duty because of well everything we've said about Worf Worf is the only still true believer right mm-hmm. Worf is the only you know even as as she's saying you know the old Klingon empire needs to die she's going to Worf and saying you're the only you're very honorable you're a good man you know all of those things and in many ways which is Luke well you know he's not a good father but uh I think in if you want an honorable Klingon you could do far worse than Worf if you Worf doesn't sure Worf doesn't necessarily want to be the leader of the Klingon people but I think Worf's semi-outsider nature gives him the opportunity to be the one good Klingon who can lead his people. Giving a Tamar talk is not a bad uh, solution. Uh, Martok we certainly do like and we agree with, and I think most Klingons do like and agree with him. Um, and, you know, who knows when Martok finally goes to... Uh, Kronos? No, what's the their heaven? Oh, uh, Stovacor. Yeah, when, when Martok finally goes to Stovacor, Worf will be a very strong candidate for his successor. Um, right. Well, here, I mean, here, here's my question for you: is is I mean, I want to talk about uh, Ezri's little speech to Worf because this is something that we have said on this podcast many times before, where. Worf is a born again Klingon. He is someone who is really invested in the the Ur ideal of the Klingon Empire, and he has really ignored the the, the as Ezra says the yeah. cor- the corrupt governments. <laughs> you know all of these things, right? And Ezra gets to the heart of the matter in, a, in in a way which you know when I watched this for the first time, I was not expecting this to happen. Uh, and I certainly was not expecting the show to even bring this up, but but it does. I mean, it, it's in a way which makes complete sense. You see, as if you take Ezri Curzon and Jadzia, yes, Curzon for whatever reason. And again, we think that I, I I have my theory that the Dax symbiont, you know, is cosmopolitan and always goes with the newest species in the galaxy. You know, to be hip in a way. So certainly Curzon hung around the Klingons, and Jadzia had a love for the Klingon culture from Curzon. And, conti- and the Ferengi. Yeah, well, again, the Ferengi being the new species right. in the galaxy. So, it, But Ezri is somebody who is outside. She's, she hasn't spent time around Klingons. Worf really is the first Klingon, apparently, that she has spent significant time at. And so... The Klingons are a bunch of, in a way, stories and, you know, war reports she's read, aren't they? They're, uh, and so she doesn't have any romanticism for that. She does, she doesn't have any Klingon friends besides Worf, and by the time she met him, her opinions had largely been formed, uh, and so the corruption is very obvious. Well, she met Kor. 
of course she 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 met other it's not like he's the first klingon she's ever seen she probably did have a klingon you know co-worker or two she's canceled klingons before but jadzia and kurzan and Worf can look at the corruption because they all know it's there Worf especially saw so much of it firsthand um yeah, well, I mean, going all the way back to Sins of the Father. Yeah, I mean, he, that he was... knows what the corruption is, but all of them value the Klingon Empire, these uh, values of honor and, you know, the ceremonial and the rituals, all of that, and say, well, if we have to deal with some corruption in order to have this greatness, we must do the best we can to keep with the greatness and, you know, downplay the corruption as much as we can. And Ezrian is a position where she can look and she says, well, yeah, but it's not that great, and you have to deal with so much crap. You need to, you know, it all, it, you can't pick and choose. This is all Klingon culture, and so if you need to get rid of the corruption, you can't ignore it. You have to kind of open all the doors and drain the swamp. Right, because I, I, I think that, that what it really comes down to is that for whatever reason, and I think you see this in, you know, Damar's story, especially mm-hmm. in Tacking Into the Wind, you know, his his great line, you know, his Cardassia is dead and it won't be coming back. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty much as profound a yeah. mission statement as you can get. I, I think that, you know, he, you know, Damar is turning his back on the version of the Cardassian Empire, which is, you know, insular and paranoid and aggressive and, and, and militaristic. Yeah. But I, I, I wonder if, and I, I don't know if this is going to happen. Well, I do know if this is going to happen, but I'm, I'm pretending <laughs> I don't. That I don't know. You know, as as the Klingon Empire has as has now been, um, I don't know what you want to say. Reborn, cleansed. Martok is now the Chancellor. If you buy the Great Man theory of history, he's going to sweep in and and fix everything, and the Klingon Empire is going to become like an open democratic society where anybody can rise through the ranks. Um, you know, the Cardassians are going to be reborn as you know an open democratic society where everybody can rise <laughs> through the ranks and the Federation is going to be reborn as that society yeah. because they're going to root out section 31. You know, I, I maybe that's a bit of a stretch. I don't know, but I do feel like that's kind of what the show is trying to do. Yeah. I, I like it. I think it works for the Klingon empire because again, we have seen the corruption in the Klingon empire going all the way back to the really the first season of TNG, but you know, the third season of TNG with sins of the father. And we've seen that same thing happening in the Cardassian empire all throughout deep space nine. I don't know that it works for the Federation, but I think the show is trying a bit too hard there. Yeah. And maybe if section 31 had been a more major part of things had been better defined, that it it would be a stronger parallel yeah as it were i didn't i very much obviously picked up on the damar and martok resonances but i didn't connect that to the federation section 31 plot that's why i'm here hooray i i mean i you know again i I don't know how much there is how much else there is to say about the 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 martok and and gavron and, and Worf plot because you know it is what it is uh, it's, it's taken, I, I, I appreciate the, the, um, the speed at which the plot moves yeah. and I appreciate the resolution happens in like two episodes and it's done and over with. And yeah, Martok is going to go off and have to be the chancellor of the Klingon empire. That obviously is not going to happen until, uh, the war against the yes. dominion is won or lost. And 
I think that we're not going to get to see the 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 building of it, which which is yeah. You know, I, I don't know if I feel bad about that or not, but I, I think that it it's obviously that the show is moving towards the end, and it's it, yeah. Not only I think what's more interesting about it to me, even aside from what happens in the episodes, is that it it's indicating that that Deep Space Nine is not just interested in you know coming up with resolutions for what's been going on and created by Deep Space Nine, but but what's been going on all throughout the you know 24th century yeah. of Star Trek history going going back to TNG. Well again, this is a reason I think I thought it would be interesting if the next Star Trek series were the next generation to this era. Um because then yeah, m- maybe it would be by this point now following Martok's leadership, the Klingons are a full part of the Federation and maybe Cardassia is where the Klingons were at the beginning of this series, you know, where they're allies and working very closely together not full members of but i well I, I either way i mean i'm and i'm sure there's a ton of fan fiction go, going for that but i do like they, that they are willing to make such sweeping social changes and that well i think part of it i mean a little bit of it is a cop-out because they don't have to deal with the consequences of, of it but you know i i do think that at least for i mean at least for the cardassian stuff i mean i i I like it a lot. I think that yeah. it's really getting to the heart of what the show was really about. And it is turning Cardassia into Bajor so yeah. slowly and yet so abruptly that it's it's just astonishing to watch. Well, yeah. One of the... I, another part of the Gowron story, frankly, is that he is... Use, he... There's a war going on, and Gowron is worried about, you know, pissing on Martok's reputation, and he's doing all he can to sabotage his reputation in the in the eyes of everybody, uh, which is fucking up the war effort, and this is seen as an unassailably bad thing. Both Kira and Damar know that they don't like each other, their people don't like each other, and this is going to be very awkward, you know, nobody's going to have a good time, that all said— there's a war going on, and Kira and Garrick know very well how to fight this kind of war, and and Damar does not, and this is going to be the only—this is really one of the best ways that they'll be able to win it, and it really doesn't matter what they think of each other right now. They're adults. There's a war going on. Well, that's that's certainly part of it, and I, I, I think that the other part of it, of yeah. course, is that Damar is really struggling with— what what is he fighting for? Like yeah. what what Cardassia is he fighting for? And you know, Rousset obviously believes that they're going to throw the Dominion out. The Federation Klingon Romulan Alliance is going to defeat the Dominion, and then the Cardassians are going to go back to being exactly what they were before. And Damar, I mean, there's that great scene which I think is kind of the 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 moment in which yeah. this really crystallizes for everyone in that room and also for the audience that you know Damar is becoming. A Bajoran, you know, he's, you know, the Dominion has killed his family and Kira says that really harsh thing to him and, and Garrick, you know, comes out and says, if he, if he's the man we think he is, he's going to take that, uh, in the right way. And if he's not, then it doesn't matter. Yeah. Damar has finally been in a position where he can have empathy. In other words, yes, he is really thinking about himself when 
He's thinking about how his family were innocent people who were killed. And even though Kira thinks it's it's true, she thinks it's not the right line, but it's the exact right line because that's what that's what crystallizes him to think bigger than himself. You know, he's on his own. He's thinking of his family. He's maybe even thinking of other Cardassian innocent families that were killed. But now he's realizing this is exactly as you said. They've become Bajoran, and he can't hide from what his people did to the Bajorans. And the only he can understand it, though, and, and that's now, a start. Yeah. And this new Cardassia is not going to may not be as militaristic, maybe more because he's realizing we're going to be creating that and other people. Well, yeah, because, I mean, this is really going back to duet, you know, yeah. with, with Goldar Heel, who, who yeah, says, yeah, yeah. you know, the only way that the Cardassians are ever going to get past the occupation is to really come to terms with and really be forced to come to terms yes. with, with what we did during it. And seven years later, that's happening. Yeah. And it's happening in, in a way that I don't think anybody could predict, and I certainly don't think you could have predicted that. No, uh, that, that Damar, who... I One of the things I found... I thought was really interesting was their whole Mexican standoff where, you know, everybody's pointing, you know, phasers at each other and Damar's underling is attempting to kill somebody very important to Damar at this point. Damar suddenly realizes where Golducat was when he killed Terzial. Yeah. I, I, I think it's not incident. That is definitely on his mind. That is the very similar scene in some ways. And, you know, th- th- that's frankly why he shoots uh, Reset. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, in that in that scenario, Reset is Damar and yeah. Kira is Torzial. Yeah, he would have been, you know, and maybe under Dukat's leadership, he would have thrown off the Dominion. And maybe Damar was stronger. Maybe Dukat was stronger enough, but that made him snap. Maybe the, maybe Cardassia would have won the war so much earlier under Dukat's leadership. Who knows? Yeah, but, who knows? I mean, we have no <laughs> way of knowing that. But either way, Damar recognizes this is the old Cardassia, and this is what got us into this situation. Our stupid pride and arrogance caused us to sign with the Dominion if we just swallowed it a little and agreed, all right, we're, we're all going to push the Dominion out of our quadrant. Things would have been different. Then, then again, I think that, that Gul Dukat would not have been the person to do that because Gul Dukat was the person who, who had Cardassia join the Dominion in the first yeah. place. And I think that the reason yeah. why Gul Dukat did that was because he wanted that old version of Cardassia back. So, yeah, maybe there is this the, in, in a way. So this show is very much against political reactionism then. Against, you know, there was an old time in the 1950s when everybody, you know, loved their neighbors and black people didn't go outside at night where everything was great. And we want to go back to that. Why can't we go back to that? Let's bring America back to that. Right. And DS9 is a very strong statement against how inhuman and cruel that desire to go to the past was when things, because things were not better for everybody. And. It's a very strong case for empathy and political dealings. Yeah, no, I think you're right. Make Cardassia great again. And, and you know, also, I, I think it's a real vindication of the, the journey that Kira has gone through, you know, over these past yes. 10 years. That, that she she would never have done this seven <laughs> she, years ago. Not and, only is she working with Cardassian, she's putting doing it while putting on a Federation uniform. Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, she isn't really thrilled with the idea of going to Cardassia when, uh, well, not going to Cardassia, I guess, or going to wherever wow. the fuck they are. Um, 
working with Cardassians. Yeah, working teaching with the Cardassians. Cardassians to be terrorists. She's not happy about it. I mean, she does bring up Torzial, which I think is really smart mm-hmm. on the show's part to not forget that, right? I mean, she's she's having to work very very closely alongside the man who who, as she says, killed mm-hmm. someone who she thought is a, a member of her family, and. You know, I don't think that she and Damar are ever going to be friends. I don't think that they're going to go out drinking. I don't think that they're going to uh, go to the movies or anything. But they're able to work together because I think both Kira and Damar realize that, you know, A, Kira is is right. And Mm -hmm. Damar just has to come around to it. And he is the one who is looking at this and saying, yes, we have to be forward thinking. We cannot go back to the old way of doing things. That is not going to work. Um, That's how we got in this situation in the first place. And I think also on Damar's part, he's realizing uh, uh, how badly he fucked up when he killed Torzial and how how it felt mm-hmm. for, for Kira and how it felt for Gal Dukat because his family has been wiped out now. And I also think that's another reason why he doesn't go off on Kira when she says that because he realizes where, she, where that's coming from. Well, there is a... To a real degree, I think Damar respects that Kira is not pretending everything is fine. You know, Damar did some very wrong things. Cardassia did some very wrong things. And if Kira is pretending that everything is fine, if that nothing really happened, then she isn't really a good revolutionary commander, is she? She needs to know exactly why she's fighting. She never forgets that. And I think, as you said, Damar has to figure out what he's fighting for. Kira always knew. Yeah, And that sense of purpose has never faded in her. Well, because really what it comes down to is that Kira, you know, came from a place of desperation. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and Damar and Rousset certainly are not used to that. Yeah. And, and coming to terms with that and coming to terms with the fact that they have no power and coming to terms with the fact that they are very desperate, very difficult for them. And that obviously ended in very different places for Rousset and Damar. Well, Rousset is not able to... Again, Reset still thinks that Cardassians are better than everybody else. He doesn't necessarily—and yeah. Damar recognizes situations change. He's yeah. able to roll with his situation more easily than than others are. And I, again, that is why I, I think the show believes that Damar will be a good leader. And he's one that I think he's beginning to earn Kira's respect, if not his life her like yeah i don't think that kira is ever going to like no. him but she's but she is recognizing again he has a conscience he has the beginnings of empathy and he's willing to make hard decisions in order to you know get his goals done and he is going to be a good commander and for again it's a war on we have to put our personal differences aside that's good enough. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. And then also, you know, we haven't even mentioned Garrick. I mean, he's come a long way too. I yeah. mean, obviously, he's he's still shady and weird and yeah. coming out of the shadows with a gun, but he's really with it now, and he's really on the side of the Federation. You know, I what again? I, I this is going the the afterward after this series. Cardassia and the Federation will begin to work much more closely together, but I also think it's very possible that whatever new intelligence organization Damar will need will be headed up by Garrick, and I think it will be a very diff- uh, it will be a different organization than the Obsidian Order was. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right, and and you know I like Garrick in these episodes because yeah. he's still very Garrick. He's still <laughs> obviously being true to himself and his personality, but but he has profoundly changed. Well, he's now finding something to fight for. He is fighting for the Cardassian resistance, and that is. 
he's fighting for a version of Cardassia that Garrick can respect. Yeah, yeah. One of the things I found very... I, I, it Something just clicked for me in these two episodes, and this is kind of changing the tone, although it's going back to Garrick's uncomfortableness and claustrophobia. Temperature is a very major theme on this series, isn't it? I mean, all of the... Ca- it, time and time again, the characters will say, oh, well, this species prefers it colder than I do, and I'm very uncomfortable there. Or, like, it's way too hot in here. You know, the founders need to be under a certain temperature, and, you know, Damar hates it. Uh, I think it's, that's a very, again, this has been going the entire time, just without my notice. I think it's a very profound motif to have in a series that's dealing with people from very different walks of life trying to live together. Well, I think that there's, I, I think that's right. And, I, you know, I don't know that I would call it like a, a really important motif in the show, but I think it's one of the small yeah. ways in which Deep Space Nine was trying to differentiate its idea of interspecies cooperation yeah. from, say, TNG, right? Because, you know, we saw alien species in TNG that that could not survive in a standard, you know, yes. human atmosphere. and. We had Vulcans and Dorians, Bajorans, you know, Beta Zeds, you know, all kinds of aliens that were walking around without any sort of uh, problem, never hearing any complaints about temperature, you know, never really worrying about the the atmosphere. And, you know, in this series, that is, you know, they have not forgotten that they these are very different alien yeah. species and that it, it's, it is a little uncomfortable to have these different species have to interact with each other in the same space and that at the end of the day it's still worth it but yeah. it, it makes it i think a little bit a little bit sweeter i mean I, I, I it's not for nothing that it comes up in this episode but the solution is just oh Demar already got us a got us a cooling unit not only did they you know is it fairly easy to accommodate that Demar is sensitive to that and recognizes yeah. that this is something you know this is a little thing i can do yeah yeah and that that's another moment of building a bridge in here yeah i think so i guess this is their this is what the series is about how to build bridges well certainly donald trump wants to build bridges <laughs> what what we haven't talked yeah, about yeah i, I want to build half of a bridge for donald trump the middle half we haven't talked about odo at all i, I don't know that there's much to say yeah. you know odo is Okay. You know, quietly wonderful again and stoic and, you know, kind of Jesus-y in a weird way. <laughs> and he's sick and who's what's going to happen? I mean, you know, his story is very much not finished. No, no. And it very – right now they're, they're, they're en route to DS9. I assume Odo is going to be placed in a stasis field very soon if he's not already. And it's really going to depend on what luck Bashir and O'Brien have with contacting Section 31. Yeah, yeah, we'll just have to see where that goes. I guess the one question I have, and I don't know if the show's answered this or not, but why hasn't why didn't Odo get the disease or symptoms of the disease earlier? Why is it waiting? Why did it stay dormant a couple of years? And Bashir Bashir mentions that he he raises the question. He doesn't really have an answer for it. Okay, I don't, I, and I honestly don't know if that's a thing or if it's just a case of you know. The, because plot says so. It may be as simple as because plot says so. We'll find out. We will. The one thing I do want to mention, though, before we wrap this episode up, is I just realized that the changeling from Chimera is now ill as well. Mm. And someone's got to let him know. <gasps> got to call him up on the space phone. 
be like, come back for your vaccine. Oh, yeah, that guy. Because, you know. Yeah. That's sad, I guess. He's a jerk, but I don't want to see him dead. No, no, he doesn't. Do the, and, and frankly, what he's on, he's also trying to find some of the 100, right? So maybe he's found one or two linked with them and uh, passed the disease on further. It's very possible. Hmm. Do we have to deal with Esri and Julian as a couple? Nope. Good. That's it. Uh, Esri and Julian, um, I think maybe very briefly, but it's kind of very similar to the like Troy and yeah. stuff from the end of TNG where it was in I basically just, like two episodes. I just, like I said, I wanted her and Quark. Give Quark a chance. And I like Quark's one little moment where he's, you know, he's giving Bashir and O'Brien coffee because he can't do anything except, you know, offer support and offer support in a beverage. But, you know, he's not even charging them for that. That's kind of how deep Quark is feeling for anything he can do to help Odo. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. Quark is, I guess, one of my favorite characters on this show. He's good. Yeah. Well, he'll get he'll get a little bit of something. Okay. I mean, they're not going to go out without giving him a little bit of, of a storyline, so we'll see what happens there. <laughs> All right, well, I think that's it for this episode of the podcast. If you have any thoughts on either of the episodes of DS9 we just talked about, please leave a comment on the post for this episode of the podcast at truckaboutshow.com. You can check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash truckaboutshow. Please give us a little bit of your financial support. We really do appreciate it. And it makes us feel good because we live in Donald Trump's America. And your value as a person is determined by the size of your bank account, which means that Donald Trump isn't really that great because he's bankrupt. Yep. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We are on all those places. Truck About Show is our username there. So please follow us and like us and share us and all those things. And as always, please leave us an iTunes review for Trek About. It is the best way for new fans to find the show. Next week is the second to last podcast on Deep Space Nine. I can't believe it's almost over. Two more weeks and we're done with this. And what are we going to do then? This has been about a year and a half of our lives. And it's feels a lot quicker than TNG did. <laughs> Yeah, I agree with that. I wonder how long uh, Voyager will feel. 17 years long. Okay. I don't know. No, I I kid about Voyager. I like Voyager. I have no idea what Voyager is. Well, you'll find out very soon. You'll find out in three weeks. No, not three weeks. Four weeks. You'll find out in four weeks because we're doing Insurrection. So... Okay, we'll have an insurrection. But we're not done with DS9 quite yet. We have three episodes of the show left. Four if you consider the last, the third episode to be two episodes. I do not, and I do not appreciate that at all. Next week we're talking about extreme measures and the dogs of war. I love dogs. Dogs. <laughs>